Hey there, and welcome to the Jimmy's Table podcast at jimmystable.com. I'm your host, Jimmy Humphrey. I'm curiously evangelical, politically homeless, and a dreamer of small things. On this podcast, I'm having conversations about the intersection of faith, life, and culture. So if you have honest questions, aren't afraid to have difficult conversations, and want to have a little fun along the way, then pull up a chair. This podcast is for you. So today's episode 149 of the jimmystable.com podcast, and I want to ask you a simple question. Do you believe in soulmates? Well, in today's episode 149, I'm going to talk about something better than a soulmate and the gift of marriage. Do you believe in the idea of a soulmate? Is there just one person out there that you're meant to be with? Has the universe or God predestined you with just one special person out of all the billions of people that there are in this world? And is your spouse that you have now, do you consider them your soulmate? But before you answer those questions, look around the room and decide if it's safe for you to answer the question out loud. <laughs> your soulmate may be listening. Um, and if your soulmate is possibly listening to this podcast with you in another room or something, you know, think of a, uh, a good answer uh, for them, for, for when they inevitably ask you, saying, so what do you think about Jim, what Jimmy's question is? Do you believe in a soulmate? Do you believe I'm your soulmate? Because, you know, that might be a uh, <laughs> tricky question to answer. So, backstory. When I was in my 20s, on two separate occasions, I briefly dated a woman that had that I had this strong infatuation and crush with, which of course is why I dated her for more than one period of time. I, I dated her twice on two separate occasions. I'm just going to say, I really, 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 really like this girl. Um, and I thought after the first time I met her and the first time we went out, I was like so smitten by her. I was like, man, this is, this is probably it. This is, this is probably the girl I'm, I'm going to marry. But then she dumped me. But then later she came back and gave me a second shot. And we went out again for a couple weeks. And after a couple weeks, I decided, nah, nah, no. And I dumped her. <laughs> Which came as a shock. Um, because like I said, I remember, uh, you know, when I first met her, that I thought, hey, this is the girl I'm going to marry one day. And as I would later learn after the second time that I, uh, that we separated when I dumped her, I learned that she had claimed that God had given her a literal vision in which she saw me and her one day getting married. And shockingly, we didn't get married. <laughs> and each of us would end up actually getting married to two different separate people. So much for that idea, right? Um, of course, put that out there, disclaimer, I am no longer married. So no, who knows what her future holds? Maybe we will yet be together. I kid, I kid, of course. I kid, of course. Uh, I say that at all joking. I have zero interest in ever uh, reconnecting with this individual. She's a lovely person, don't get me wrong. She's just not the person for me. And I don't believe that God gave her a vision of us getting uh, married. But who knows, right? <laughs> but anyway, I digress. 
So I bring up this story, this humorous story, to simply talk about today and the concept of soulmates. Because there's a lot of people out there that, frankly, believe this idea. And even if we don't overtly believe in the concept as a matter of doctrine and personal philosophy, the idea of a soulmate is still something of a romantic, romantic sort of ideal that just pumps through our blood. It's just embedded in our DNA. Um, but it got me to thinking, and it got me to looking around a little bit on the internet. Where did this idea of even a soulmate originate from? And according to my research, and I have a link to it in the show notes for jimmystable.com for episode 149, according to my research, interestingly enough, the word soulmate is it actually a very recent word. Um, it didn't originate until the year 1822, in which the poet Samuel Taylor Coleridge coined the term, stating, to be happy in married life, you must have a soulmate. And for Coleridge, a successful marriage needed to be about more than economic or social compatibility. It required a deeply spiritual connection. And while the idea, or the word rather, of a soulmate might be a rather recent word in, in our lexicon as a people, the concept is still much older than 1822. Um, it goes far back, and as far as I've been able to tell from my little bit of research that I did on this topic, the ancient Greek philosopher Plato talked about the idea. He didn't use the word soulmate, but he definitely described something of the concept in which he cited another Greek poet who taught that soulmates were individuals who were once united with their other half in a pre-existent state of being before they became people. But then the Greek god Zeus, jealous of this union that this person had, split that person in two out of jealousy and fear. But coming into this world, unable to stay apart, having this sort of magnetic connection, this force that just would draw them ultimately together, they would eventually find their other half. And Plato quotes, And when one of them meets his other half, the actual half of himself, the pair are lost in amazement of love and friendship and intimacy, and one will not be out of the other sight, as I may say, even for a moment. And you know, that's pretty poetic. And there's something definitely, you know, very romantic and Nicholas Sparks type stuff that, you know causes our heartstrings to get pulled a little bit. Not bad, Plato. Not bad. <laughs> but if we were to trace this idea further out, you know, it, it exists throughout in the, the history of the world, really. And this concept is something that's especially been existing in Western tradition. Um, when you try to trace the idea out in Christianity, though, well, historically, Christianity has often been you know, sown with a lot of platonic thought that has often found its way into our theology at some level. The idea, though, of soulmates, as defined by Plato, isn't a subject you see the scriptures ever speak directly to. And I'm unaware, personally unaware, of any serious theologian that would hold to Plato's idea of a soulmate, of us being this pre-existent soul that was divided in two and then put into two separate people who, you know, ultimately find each other one day and become a united whole again in the, the face of each other. 
But with that said, I will say, while this concept itself is not found in Scripture, um, you know, I think there are still some well-meaning people today who, through various, you know, outlets, um, you know, whether it's friends, Sunday school teachers, or even some popular Christian authors that might sell a book or two, they still kind of loosely infer this idea that God has made this soul out there just for us, this person out there that's just for you. And, you know, you could infer, if you, get, if you look into the scriptures, you could kind of read this idea back into the scriptures and kind of infer it from several different passages in the Bible. For example, the story of the creation in Genesis could almost infer such, and is, you know, kind of has a platonic sort of feel about it at the end of the day, which I think is kind of interesting. For we read in Genesis that when God created the world, that he created Adam and placed Adam in the garden. But Adam felt lonely seeing all the other animals with a mate. And so God caused Adam to undergo a deep sleep from which God fashioned a woman from one of Adam's ribs. And from this rib, God made Eve and then brought them together to which Adam said, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. And from this story, numerous people have kind of inferred a thought that we all have an Adam and Eve-like story out there. That God, you know, has just put us out there and that we're all in search for our rib. Um, and the force of such a passage, even though it doesn't over, overtly, directly teach this idea of a soulmate, it definitely kind of plays with our romantic imaginations at the end of the day. And I can definitely see the allure of such a passage and how we might almost come to the concept that, you know, the scriptures teach this idea of a soulmate similar to that of Plato's. But the scriptures also have a couple other similar stories that I find interesting that are out there. You have the story of Jacob and his love for Rachel. You have Solomon and his love for the Shilamite woman. You have Ruth and Boaz's relationship and its providential significance for the nation of Israel. And of course, you have God's continued expressed love for Israel and the church, which is often deeply symbolized and related to the image of that of husband and wife and of marriage. And depending on your exact theological understanding of the concept of predestination, you might also believe as a result that God is specifically writing your love story. And you've probably heard that phrase a time or two, especially in the evangelical world. And that God has one special person out there just for you. And then we can sit there and cite passages like Matthew 19, 6, in which Jesus says, what God has joined together let no man separate. And this seems to be the crux of the idea after all, right? God has brought you together. Doesn't that seem to be kind of heading at the idea of, well, you know, maybe, just maybe, you're with your soulmate. But if there is just one person out there just for you, and God has destined you for a soulmate, like in an Adam and Eve type fashion, it kind of begs the question, how did Jacob get tricked into marrying someone else first? Why did Solomon have 700 wives and 300 concubines? And why was Ruth married to someone before Boaz, who, you know, ultimately died? And how is it that if God has predestined you to be with just one person, then how is it that man is capable 
of separating that union to begin with through an act like divorce. And while these romantic stories in the Bible might cause a fluttering in our hearts and might be the subject of many Christian you know, books on uh, relationships and, and sermons and things of that nature, I think we need to be very careful to read this platonic idea of a soulmate into these passages, even though, you know, like I said, kind of sympathetic to it. I think at best we can infer from these passages of Scripture that some relationships simply have a little bit more chemistry to them than others, and that we are capable of forming deeply romantic attachments that really hit us differently than some of the other relationships that we ultimately get entangled in. For all the extra special relationship, though, that Adam and Eve had in their forming, and and God seemingly to just bring them together in some sort of predestined soulmate-type way, I think we also need to be careful. Because if you go in there with that idea that Adam and Eve were at least soulmates, so therefore I must have a soulmate out there, you've got to remember, for whatever soulmate-type relationship God may have had in the forming of Adam and Eve in their union, the scriptures also make clear not all was well in paradise. At the end of the day, Adam and Eve's marriage ended up ultimately being a very toxic relationship and very self-destructive not only for themselves, but the rest of humanity. And you and I continue to suffer today, according to the biblical tradition, because ultimately of the troubles that were introduced into this world through our first parents' relationship. (laughs) So, I might ask a very practical question then. Even if you believe in the idea of a soulmate, exactly what are the practical implications of that? What are you hoping that this soulmate sort of status and idea will grant you once you find that special someone? Is it going to just give you this extra super special connection that makes your relationship unlike anything else in the universe? And a guaranteed happily ever after? That's not how it played out for Adam and Eve, did it? And as much as that idea may pull on our heartstrings, I'm here to tell you today that the closest thing to a soulmate that we read about in the Bible is still plagued with serious problems. And I think we like the idea of a soulmate, like with Adam and Eve, because we don't like the idea of feeling alone. Something in us just aches and longs for another person. But we don't want just any old person at the end of the day. We don't want that prearranged marriage. We don't want things done like they were done in less romantic times in the history of the world where you, your, your father and, and a man work out an exchange of goats in the name of a dowry so that you can get married. We want something that has a little extra special sauce mixed in it. We want something that makes our heart flutter and go pitter-patter and to give us all the feel-goods. And I think, you know, you see this idea, I think, really play out powerfully in pop culture in Nicholas Sparks' The Notebook. Nicholas Sparks' The Notebook, which was a a book and it was also a movie, tells the story of a man named Noah and Allie who had this, you know, undeniable chemistry and sense of connection. But at the end of the day, 
Their relationship was very immature, very toxic, and there was a very heavy sense of codependency that they had with one another. And Allie's mother, who didn't really approve of their relationship, ultimately interfered in that relationship, which kept the two apart, which is, you know, kind of a tragic thing. But Allie and Noah moved on, and Allie eventually fell in love with another man who she became engaged to get married to. But then through a chance encounter that drove Noah and Allie back together, they had a romantic affair and slept with each other while she was wearing another man's ring, by the way. And Allie ultimately realized that as much as she loved her fiancé, that Noah was really her soulmate. He had that extra special sauce that she really liked. So what, what happened? She left her fiancé and ended up living happily ever after with Noah. Their souls were so connected, the story goes, that through the medical issues that Allie eventually would have with Alzheimer's, that when it came time for them to die, when Noah and Allie ultimately died, they died in old age holding one another. and They died at the same time. Doesn't that sound just absolutely romantic and dreamy? It was a powerful story. It was a very popular movie. It resonated with our culture very deeply and is still, you know, a very cherished movie today. And it sounds very romantic. But if you actually break down what happened in the movie, it sounds romantic, unless you're Allie's fiance that she cheated on. <laughs> and speaking as someone who knows what it's like to be on the losing side of a love triangle... I will say, I find nothing romantic about such a story. Nicholas Sparks ultimately wrote a storyline that's fit for the Jerry Springer show. But we think it's romantic because, because it involves pretty people who have nice teeth. And it appeals to the sappy romantic ideas that we have about soulmates within our culture. I know. Let that set in for a little bit. <laughs> That's going to be a hot take that may not resonate very well with my, uh, I, I dare say, my female audience more than the men. But uh, And you might sit there and think, that's kind of cynical. But I would actually encourage you, you know, at the end of the day, look at a lot of the, the classic love stories that you see in our pop culture, in the movies and in books. Um, a lot of them are filled with, at the end of the day, what amounts to Jerry Springer-like um, Things happening that if they happened to you in real life, you would not be liking them. Unless, of course, you were Noah and Allie, who, you know, just had this glorious, wonderful love story. But if you were Allie's fiancé, you know, you'd probably think, huh, I kind of got uh, the, wrong, raw, the wrong end of the stick here. I, I don't like how this played out and all. So I would encourage you, when you see these love stories, think critically about them, because you'll find that for all the sappy, sentimental stuff that is sewn into them, if you think about how would this feel if it played out in real life, you'd probably find out, hmm, this doesn't play out too well. So while I find the entire idea of a soulmate and things like you see in the notebook, some, having a certain sort of appeal and, you know, my sappy, western-saturated soul, I think it's ultimately a shallow view of love, of romantic love. 
The idea of a soulmate is an illusion that tries to see our romantic entanglements as something larger than the life of the two people that find themselves together. The focus then becomes not on our actual partner, but some false, larger-than-life narrative and story that gives our relationship a larger sense of purpose than the actual relationship and the people involved in it themselves. And I don't like that. Instead, I think God offers us something better than a soulmate. That is, God offers us the wonderful gift of marriage. A gift that offers us the possibility of sharing in something that's either amazingly beautiful or something that has within it the possibility to be amazingly destructive. The outcome of which will ultimately depend not on some cosmic force that brings us together through some sort of sense of fate because we're soulmates and we just belong together and God and the universe and everything is working to, to bring us together, but rather the outcome will be determined by what degree that both partners freely give of themselves lovingly to the other and everything that they are and receiving what that other person has to offer. The gift of marriage is what God offers us and is far superior to any soulmate-type mythology that we may cling to in our hearts. What our marriage becomes will ultimately depend on how we steward and cultivate our marriages. And the closeness that we have with another soul will not depend on some sort of fake mythology about being soulmates. But ultimately by the commitment we make to each other in a mutual, Christ-like, sacrificial love. And I think that, my friends, is more beautiful than anything that Nicholas Sparks could write about or any sort of theory that Plato might offer us about the workings of romantic love. The gift of marriage is better than the idea of a soulmate. So everybody, this has been Jimmy Humphrey, episode 149, Better Than a Soulmate, The Gift of Marriage. If you've enjoyed this podcast or you've hated this podcast and you think I am nuts, reach out to me. Email me, jimmy at jimmystable.com. Or if you've been so moved by this podcast and you want to leave a glowing five-star review that talks about, man, Jimmy, I just love how you get everything about love correct. You know, then go leave your glowing five-star review at places like Apple and Spotify and Stitcher and Amazon and wherever you can leave glowing five-star reviews so that other people might know all the things that I know about love. <laughs> uh, so everybody, this has been Jimmy Humphrey, Jimmy's Table Podcast, where I'm having conversations about the intersection of faith, life, and culture. Oh yeah, and if you haven't had the opportunity to subscribe yet, go to jimmystable.com slash subscribe and you can find your favorite way to subscribe there. So if you've enjoyed this podcast, subscribe, like, share, give me some feedback. I'd love to talk to you more about this episode. Everybody, Jimmy Humphrey, jimmystable.com. God bless. Have a good one. See you next week. That's all I have to say about that. That's the right on, man. You said it all.